0: This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Not Your Doc podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa, here with our producer, Seth. And we're back again with Dr. Tadros, Mr. Not Your Doc himself. How's it going, Tadros?
0: Hey. Hi, everybody. Thank (laughs) you. Yes.
1: So this is the promised part two of our discussion on hospice and end-of-life care. Um, So we are actually going to continue to resist the urge to look away um, from this difficult issue. Uh, and we're going to lean into something that makes us uncomfortable for a little while because I think we're going to be much better off, um, after doing that. And we're going to talk specifically about the dying process. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, this is, I feel like this is an important part of our podcast in general that we try to talk about topics that people don't necessarily want to talk about, um, as Dr. Tadros likes to say, this is the shit no one talks about because um, no one likes to talk about these thorny issues. They make us uncomfortable. They, um, they make us recoil. They, we feel like it's morbid. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we... We see, I think, in a lot of our patients that come through the ketamine clinic could have benefited from more open and honest discussion about hard things, right? Yes, all so, sorts of
0: things, not just… Uh, all sorts of stuff, yeah, right, right, exactly.
1: So um, we're going to continue to push through both for, you know, ourselves and for anyone who's listening to this um, so that we can all be more prepared to, you know, address the time in life that we're all going to face. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to learn some more specifics uh, from Dr. Tadros about what life looks like in its final months, weeks, and days for a dying patient. Um, so before we get into the booklet that we referenced last time, Dr. Tadros, mm-hmm. um, can you talk a little bit more about your personal experience with hospice? Like why why did you want to do hospice? Do you find it morbid? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what having a good death looks like for you?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in these times, uh, it's weird because people are looking at longevity. I, I love to listen to everything from podcasts, and I follow several people that are doing longevity research. Mm-hmm. So this is extending people's lives beyond the 70s and 80s and 90s. Uh, so that's, that's one aspect of it. Um, and uh, hopefully there's, a, there's also a health benefit. You just don't live longer, but you're also healthier while you live longer. In the end, we're all going to pass away one way or the other, just like, Right. Plants and animals yep. and, and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, things in our immediate world. We're going to pass away. Hopefully, it's far far down the line, mm-hmm. and hopefully, it's a uh, it's a full life with no disability, no yeah. pain, no suffering, and a, and a quick death. And this is believe it or not, this is kind of what we believe a, a good death is. Among other things, is that uh, uh, un, unhampered long life um, mm-hmm. and 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 a, 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 a relatively painless death with people that love you around right. you. Uh, so that's that's one way um, of of describing what a good death is. Um, uh, everybody describes what they want their own way. How right. they, uh, but but um, the other, I talk to people that pain and suffering are two different things. Mm. They're often related. Pain could be uh, physical and emotional, spiritual uh, pain. Uh, suffering is kind of this existential angst about being afraid, mm. being not sure about the future, uh, being alone. Or, or not being around the maybe around people, but not the people that you wanted to be yeah. around. Uh, so that's, that's type of suffering. of people not believing you or ignoring you, uh, not being noticed. Uh, that's the type of suffering. Uh, we can help with with hospice and other things that we do in the medical profession. We could help with pain and suffering. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, and then and, and there's spiritual uh, you know spirit, spiritual spiritual practices have been doing this for thousands of years before we had sure. PET scans and and CRISPR. Technology, yeah, yeah. Right,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a very, um, you know, it, it kind of comes back to to everything that we talk about here. What will you do at the clinic? It's about giving people dignity, right mm-hmm. in in their most challenging moments, in the midst of their struggles, yes. um, and also just you know having empathy and compassion, relating to They're others very because we, right? Yeah, because uh, you know, if you're a hospice patient or a family member of someone who's in hospice, you're in a very vulnerable moment of life. Um, and it's our, you know, our duty in this helping profession to, mm-hmm. you know, help people um, not feel alone and trapped sure. in those moments. So, um Will you go ahead and introduce us to the booklet you're going to be referencing today? And tell us a little bit, like, what's the what's the purpose of providing something like this mm-hmm. to patients and families?
0: Well, anytime we talk to anybody, I don't care if you're talking about life insurance, about uh, how expensive your car repair is going to be, you're not going to hear everything. Right. Uh, so that's part of it. So it's written down. Um and handed this as a, as part of a packet of stuff of, uh, of information that we give patients and their loved ones to keep at the bedside or in the near the refrigerator or on the way out the door, uh, uh, so that that they have the uh, our our hospice information our contact information. So instead of calling nine one one, you're calling the nurse on call uh, about any symptoms or any questions and stuff like that. So, uh, but also this is part of the the a lot of almost every hospice I know has this type of. Uh, um, Written information about physical, emotional uh, issues that may happen with weeks to months to hours before dying. Yeah, this it's
1: kind of the what to expect when you're expecting yes, of death. Of
0: death. Yeah. Yes, uh, as opposed to for babies. For babies. Yeah, yeah, sure. This one is entitled "Gone from My Sight: The Dying Experience" by Barbara Carnes K A R N E um, S R N, and uh, it's I think it's uh, it's it's written simply. Yeah, uh, and. It, Pretty complete. Pretty complete. Yeah. Uh, we talk about uh, potentially a dying process starting one to three months uh, prior to death. Now, this is you have to be very flexible about how things happen. Right, your your how your brain and your body respond, and, and the situation, physical and emotional situation you're in, will alter everything. Uh, but generally, this is the, some of the uh, some of these words and some of these concepts are going to happen to uh, a lot of people. Sometimes they happen over small periods mm-hmm. of time. Sometimes they happen over hours uh, uh, to to in minutes, and sometimes some of these will happen for much much longer.
1: Could you but, give an example of a patient with like a specific type of diagnosis who sure. might be looking at? A three-month prior yeah, to their sure. death kind of thing? Yeah.
0: So uh, somebody who's uh, cancer, once again, hospice was started uh, really for cancer patients many decades ago, but it includes a lot of diagnoses like you. Ma- I mentioned before, end-stage uh, HIV, uh, end-stage liver disease, there's uh, oftentimes cirrhosis. And um, stage uh, uh, brain issues like dementias and after bad strokes or multiple bad strokes, mm-hmm. uh, kidney failure, been on dialysis, heart disease, heart attack, heart failure, uh, and cancer. So I'll pretend it's a cancer patient. Sure. Let's pretend it's a colon cancer. Mm-hmm. It's Metastatic, this that's that's no longer treatable, uh, because uh, treatments, uh, despite treatments, it's the, the cancer cells have added in to lymph nodes and 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 into the liver and uh, now are in the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this type of uh, this so has pretend like this.
1: Has the typical person here, your, let's take our, our mm-hmm. example patient, have they been? going through treatment for a while yeah. they've tried lots of different things they've That's had right. lots of tests they have not months to years have they received a prognosis before this point
0: right so uh-huh. a, a lot of patients unless it's very advanced cancer when it's first found a lot of patients May not be told the prognosis that end uh, end of time prognosis. They may just say the prognosis of what the prognosis of this type of chemo that we're going to give you gotcha. or the surgery. Okay, okay. So they may tell you what the next few days, weeks, months we're going to or for what we're trying to do. They may not be told that that you know 80% of these people will not survive five years. Mm. They may not that might not be the first few conversations. Yeah. So after you, oftentimes what will happen is that. <clears throat> Unless the physician uh, wants to, to, to reveal a lot of stuff at once, or unless the patient or a family wants to know a lot of stuff up front, uh, a lot of uh, what we'll talk about is the immediate uh, that'll take up your brain space. Your immediate uh, testing and immediate specialists and all the driving and the insurance issues and all that stuff will take up all your brain space. Yeah. And then after you've uh, after you've <clears throat> tried multiple things and they've worked for a while, and then the cancer came back, or et cetera. Then down the line, uh, people will start hinting that maybe you know for this third type of chemo that we're going to try mm, on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we see new spots on your brain. Yeah. you know uh, what used to be in your bone and your lymphatic and your liver and starting your colon now it's in your brain potentially in your brain. We probably don't want to do a brain biopsy. Let's just give you another type of chemo and then and if that doesn't if that the cat scan or MRI or PET scan doesn't change maybe then we'll start hinting that we're running out of stuff to help you. Yeah. Uh, maybe hospice is appropriate.
1: Yeah. yeah. Wow, that must be a... So that that's kind of where we're meeting our patient, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. their family when we're talking about these that's one right. to three months prior to death.
0: That's right. So one to three months, people may uh, the patient may start withdrawing and uh, kind of recognizing that, it's, that they're more tired, uh, that it's that reality is kind of settling in so that they're emotionally uh, kind of withdrawing uh, they're not as uh, as loquacious and not as talkative they may not want to see re- loved ones and relatives mm-hmm. they may not have energy to have to sit very long at a party or want to go to a party at all or even a movie and so they're kind of going within the, uh, inter, into themselves uh, so that's part of uh, 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 that that. Just sitting with them may be the best that you can do, mm. coming to be present.
1: Yeah. What about physical touch?
0: Yes. And so some people, a lot of people, physical touch, not, and it depends, you know, um, it's biblical, etc. Right. whether you're washing somebody's ha- right. uh, hair or or, or or putting on a lotion, yeah. uh, all that stuff actually anointing counts.
1: Anointing them with oil. <laughs> that's right. It is. Yeah. It's
0: a, your version uh-huh. of anointing them with yeah. oil. So that's, that, all these actions are extreme, I think, extremely important and comforting. For most of us. Now, some people right. touch, if you sure. have fibromyalgia yeah, 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 or if you yeah. have metastatic bone disease everywhere, yeah. it may hurt to yes. be even some of the gentle touches yeah. uh, So, or if they're feverish, uh, so sometimes. Mm-hmm. So at the bedside, this is where relatives and, 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 and nurse practitioner, nurses, excuse me, and, and, and nurse aides, And other people will start to, if you've known the person for a while, you'll start kind of getting the rhythm of of they sleep here, and they're awake here, and they'd rather talk for five minutes here, but not 15, and all this stuff matters.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um,
0: Still, uh, So also starting at one to three months before, uh, depending, even whether whether it's kidney failure, with dialysis, heart failure, lung failure, uh, lung failure, being emphysema, cancers, these people, appetite may go down. They're, They're... T- taste of food, the textures may not be appealing, the smells may not be appealing, mm. uh, uh, they may lose their sense of taste uh, so that the, the typical uh, flavors don't taste right or they taste metallic um, and, and they just don't eat as, as much, they may get full faster, they may feel hungry but within a few bites they get full fast, uh, so all that stuff when a lot of us are like you got to eat, you know, yeah, blah, absolutely. Blah, blah.
1: I can imagine that would right? be super alarming for a loved one it or is. a caregiver. It
0: is, uh, it's it's one of the most distressing thing to see a uh, um, a wife and it brings tears to my eyes. Who's seventy six, and her and her, you know, and her eighty year old husband is not wanting to eat, but yeah. for for you know for the last sixty years, yes. you know she's cooked and stuff like that. He's loved her food, yes. and the grandkids yeah. around food, and the kids and the birthday parties. All yeah. of a sudden, he doesn't want his favorite meal anymore. Yeah, yeah,
1: yes, that is. Um...
0: The, sometimes it can suck down liquids so sometimes uh, something cold something uh, you know something soft and uh, soft and cold uh, mm-hmm. so the textures maybe fine. something super sweet or super salty sometimes it's still palatable not always mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes the harder stuff to digest is stuff, stuff to chew mm-hmm. like the, the like uh, you know meats and and, and, sure, and, sure. and fibrous vegetables are some of the first ones that that people just don't don't tolerate don't want and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is a normal part of kind of your body starting to withdraw from life, essentially.
1: Yeah. So it's not um, people and caregivers don't need to feel
0: mm.
1: it, it's okay not to eat, not right? Guilt, right. I mean, the,
0: you you you're still you're still a good caregiver. You're still a good yeah. loved one. It's just you can't provide the stuff that you used to be able to provide, and they yeah. appreciate it. They can't appreciate it as much. Uh, the equivalent, of what I tell people is, if you and I had the flu, the stomach flu putting food in front of me whatever i'm puking and having diarrhea and don't get out of bed is not is, is a loving gesture like, but it's absolutely. not what my body sure. is going to accept
1: sure this is certainly an opportunity to explore different expressions of right. love languages yes. and yeah. ways of comforting that's absolutely. very interesting mm-hmm. okay um so any anything else for the 1 to 3 months i mean are they you said people aren't going to be as communicative. They're not really going to want to talk
0: as much. So they don't want to get all out. They want, may not want to see their friends or grandkids as much. Yeah, uh, and or they get tired very e- more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes more frustrated with themselves and maybe with other people. Yeah. So uh, it's it's always a challenge uh, to to um, um, to uh, to to the social aspect of. Of people coming by and and knowing that you're ter- yeah. terminal, you're on hospice, yeah. you're you're one to three months away. You know, your six month prognosis before uh, uh, that you may that you may die. It's not automatic, mm-hmm. uh, but you may die. And people are trying to come see you, but you already you already kind of uh, don't want to see them. Sure,
1: um. I I it's interesting because I think I'm thinking now that we're going through this that sometimes we think. Um, when we know a loved one is dying or someone is, is is very sick or we don't have many opportunities to see them anymore, it can become more about us. That's right. You know, and my desire to see you one more time right. or my desire to hash things out one last time right. and put our differences to bed or whatever. But it actually might be more uh, a more humane and a more dignified gesture for me to just meet that person where, where they're at. And if That's they right. don't want visitors to respect that right. and to let, you know, unsaid things go unsaid, perhaps. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Um, I I, I segregate the patient from the family. Sometimes the family wants the casseroles. Sometimes the family wants the relief by by sitting in the back porch and talking for an hour and a half. Sure, yeah. So the family may be accepting and and appreciative, but the patient uh, may have already crossed over to the, I'm too exhausted about life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, and this is a reminder, and also brings tears to my eyes, of why we need to take care of sh- shit every single day, because you never know when, when exactly. this level now here's hospice, and we have right. time. But they may not just because yeah. they're on hospice doesn't mean that they're gonna you're gonna feel great until the last part of the six months and then and then pass away. So they may start you know any some people whenever we put them in hospice or uh, pass away within a few hours of yeah. of, of, of coming to see them. Some people will last a couple of years in hospice wow. and we can talk about why it can be a couple of years. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, typically that's why we say six months. So I tell people any chance you get to say hi to people, yeah, love them, absolutely. go see them, yep. you pick up the phone, FaceTime them is, yep. it's better to do it now. Resolve
1: than, differences, yep, go to it, therapy together,
0: Better to yeah. do it now than, 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 than whenever you don't know when the end is coming. So.
1: Absolutely. Wow. That's powerful. Okay. Uh, what about one to two weeks?
0: Yeah. So the one to two week mark, so we're getting down. Whether it's your in this case, we we're talking about cancer. It could be heart failure. It could be it could be it could be uh, Stopping dialysis mm-hmm. from your kidney failure, et cetera. But once two uh, weeks uh, before death uh, Sometimes we'll call this actively dying mm. uh, You say isn't what do you mean actively dying? Well, sometimes they become more disoriented So this is kind of the delirium or terminal delirium mm-hmm. that will they'll sometimes uh, or they'll, they'll become more confused. They're sleeping a lot more uh, uh, They may start talking to long deceased loved ones, so they're confused and they're talking to yeah. people who have passed away. Uh, they're picking at their bed clothes and they're, they're agitated, their arms are moving and stuff like that. So it's hard to see somebody who used to be smart and bright and stuff like that all of a sudden become sleepier. More disoriented, uh, et cetera, oh, and you, you can't you can't communicate with them even though they may be awake. Right. Um, you may not be able to. They may not be able to follow instructions as easily. So, so before
1: it, we delve more deeply into that, sure. the one to three month stuff that we're talking about, mm-hmm. conceivably a person could live like that for a long for time, a long time. That's right, correct.
0: that's correct. Yeah, People okay. We have people on service um, on a house that are in the seventy or eighty pounds. Uh, and they've been with us for many months uh, at that level. Mm-hmm. You say, how much? Where where are they getting their calories? You know, uh, they've 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 gone through their fat stores and glycogen stores, and and now mm-hmm. they're dipping into their muscle stores. Muscles as being broken down yeah. and stuff like that uh, for for energy. So yeah, people can last much much longer than than what what the Bible says without food and without mm-hmm. water, all sorts of mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then but the you know the the delirium and mm-hmm. the you know this one to two weeks prior to death is pretty much uh, everyone's going to get to this stage and well some approach te- it.
0: right so delirium and from our past talks there yeah. there's a hyperactive delirium hypoactive delirium and mixed delirium delirium is just kind of a confused state okay. yeah. it could be for because of low oxygen it could be because of uh, metabolic uh, waste products are piling up in the bloodstream because they're constipated, because they're infected. There's a bunch of reasons to become delirious. Mm-hmm. But uh, people are starting to call this some of the terminal agitation, terminal sure. delirium. Sometimes it becomes worse before it becomes better and we could talk about that but right. anyway but that's that's the disorientation and uh, and and part of it is this is the delirium yeah. one to, one to two weeks prior to death.
1: Sure, it's kind of just sort of losing their bearings that's and their grounding.
0: Your brain may not be getting enough oxygen, enough blood flow. There may be uh, uh metabolic waste products that are piling up in your body uh-huh. from your kidneys not working, right. your liver not working. Yeah. And
1: because you've stopped <clears throat> dialysis and all other right. medications and stuff, that's kind of a natural that's progression right. of those diseases. Okay,
0: great. Uh so uh once again, it's still the one to two weeks uh before uh, there's mm-hmm. physical changes blood pressure may, may may start lowering even if they've had long-standing hypertension You have to start start stop stop start stopping or stopping their blood pressure medicines, yeah. backing off because you want to get blood flow to their brain and to their legs. So sometimes your blood pressure medicines that help control your blood pressure before now, you're no longer needed. Your heartbeat can increase or can potentially drop. Your body mm-hmm. temperature is hard to regulate. You, have, you, may, you may become sweaty uh, to, to chilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have increased perspiration, kind of cold sweats, clamminess. Skin color could be uh, flush with kind of whenever your blood vessels dilate on your skin, they become flush and you're kind 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 of feel hot to the skin or feverish or become cool and pale as your blood vessels clamp off uh, Mm -hmm. blood flow, try to keep it in the middle of the body so they clamp off peripheral blood flow so you get mottled and bluish fingertips and and, uh, um, toes. Uh, so that's uh, some of the signs that your autonomic nervous system is yeah to,
1: yeah that it, that it can't things. maintain its that's homeostasis right. anymore right? right okay this is all automatic yeah. blood
0: pressure heart rate uh, uh, perspiration uh, temperature uh, skin color all kind of part mm-hmm. of under the direction of autonomic uh, autonomic
1: sym- meaning we don't consciously regulate, tell our body right. to do these things sympathetic
0: yeah. and, and parasympathetic nervous system that's right mm-hmm. breathing changes where you can have uh, everything from uh, some uh, small pauses uh, rapid breathing then pauses sometimes. Bigger pauses, Mm -hmm. Uh, congestion. You start rattling. It can be in the throat, which is kind of mucus from your mouth and drainage. Yeah, what's the
1: what is why Mm -hmm. congestion? If you're not getting a lot of fluid intake, and why why does that happen?
0: Yeah, so our body is about sixty percent fluid. Total body is sixty percent fluid. So you can start. Shifting fluids from uh, from inside the blood vessels out of the blood vessels into soft tissue. And soft tissue could be uh, in, into your lungs mm. um, and your throat, et cetera. Okay. We still are potentially still making saliva. And so if we don't swallow it into our stomach, it sits in the back of our throat. And as you breathe, it rattles. Ah, uh,
1: okay. Yeah.
0: So the, the and uh, so that's – that's and sometimes you'll cough. Sometimes it will be a dry cough. It's not bringing up anything. Sometimes you can clear the rattle temporarily. hmm Yeah. yeah. And then, then we're down to the last couple of days to a few hours beforehand. And by the way, I, what I like about uh, uh, Nurse Carn's uh, booklet is that I do tell people, you know, months to weeks to months, uh, you know, years to months, uh, weeks to months, uh, hours to days, and minutes. Mm-hmm. So I I tend not to say, you know, you're gonna, you're, you know, you got six months to live. I say, you know, roughly. We're in the months. We're in the few months yeah, range. We're right. not. We're not into the multi-year range. Yeah. Uh, before pa- potentially passing away.
1: Before the but, the last couple of days are. It, I know. Like they hmm? they might be sleeping a lot, but are they still responsive?
0: They can typically, be. right? Okay. They can be. They can so be. Okay. Th- the problem is with delirium is that they sometimes will make sense and sometimes they'll wake up if you shake them. and They make sense, but then they drop off asleep right away. And you rattle them and you ask them what they want. Because you just w- had to awaken them and they don't remember speaking with you. Uh-huh. So that's the frustrating problem. Yeah. They may wake, they may be awakened with stimulation um, and they may re- respond, but they may not remember what they sure. said or what you said. Okay. Yeah.
1: And can't announce their needs or that's right. that sort of thing. Okay. Yep. Yeah.
0: They can't express their needs. There's a big, big problem on its own. So you start having to interpret, are they in pain because they're wincing or grimacing? Yeah. All that stuff. So one to two days before, I uh, wanted to do one to two days to a couple of hours before death. Uh, there may be a pump up, a surge of energy. They may talk clearly. Uh, they may all of a sudden, uh, after days and weeks of not wanting to eat, they all actually eat. They may sit up in the living room and, and talk to relatives and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, you think like things have already we've yeah. turned the corner. We're right. we're back. We're back. And the answer is that sometimes it's just hours to a couple of days before you pass away wow. that you have the surge of energy. Yeah. Uh, so. These people eventually after the surge of energy they become restless which is also part of terminal delirium I like to remind whenever we talk with medical students Whenever you have lower blood uh, oxygen level, you become more agitated. Uh, if you have increased carbon dioxide in your blood, like emphysema patients, you become more sleepy. Mm. So uh, so sometimes that's a sign that the so agitation... So their agitation
1: is because your, your body's fighting for more oxygen. Potentially it's trying to, get is you
0: to lower blood flow with oxygen or lower oxygen in the blood that is getting to your brain. That's part of it. These people are starting to accumulating waste products. Remember, Mm -hmm. whenever we were, you know, typically we get rid of waste products in our breath, carbon dioxide, through a little bit through our sweats and through our urine and through our feces. So as things start shutting down, these tend to accumulate in your soft tissue and your bloodstream, not
1: being excreted. So
0: days to hours before surge of energy, then you become restless. Breathing patterns become slower, irregular, sometimes apnea, stop breathing for uh, long periods of time. Congestion can be loud. This is the death rattle yeah. that people talk about. Um, so it could be in the lungs, but oftentimes it's just in the upper airways, in the throat. Mm. Uh, eyes may see be uh, may be fully closed, but if they're open, they're kind of glassy. They're not they're not focusing on stuff sure. like that. Uh, oftentimes they'll be pale. They'll be cool. They'll be gray. Um, the hands or feet may become purplish now. The blood. Now the autonomic nervous system is, if it's partly working, will sometimes clamp off the blood flow to your l- limbs so they can keep uh, you alive, keep your blood pressure elevated, sure. uh, so to, to your brain and your heart and your kidneys. But it, but it's being ineffective in doing so. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, and then uh, then the patient becomes comatose or non-responsive, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and sometimes when we'll have the uh, their, their face will be sunken. Their their mouth will the, the, your 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 ability to hold your jaw shut, mm-hmm. keep your lips closed, is, is gone. Mm-hmm. So your mouth uh, gapes, and sometimes it looks like a circle or an O. Yeah. Um, and some people will start uh, the few last few seconds, minutes. They'll start looking like a like a goldfish yeah. kind of. Try looking like gulping, trying to gulp air. They're they're unconscious, but they're trying to. It looks like they're trying to gulp air with their mouth, uh, kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, not with, and uh, that's usually seconds to minutes to uh, or less uh, away from uh, stopping breathing.
1: Wow, how how long can? Um... This that process last I mean days mm-hmm. or hours are we talking like up to seven days or up to two weeks living like this? Or? Yeah,
0: typically we're just yeah. typically, you know, uh, one two three days Yeah. Uh, we're down to uh, oftentimes not even sometimes uh, once once you're once you're kind of uh, glassy-eyed and you're um, <clears throat> and You have apneic pauses these breathing yeah. pauses. Sometimes you're just minutes to hours away.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow Wow so, um, there is a really great poem in here, um and there's also some great metaphorical language that she uses in this booklet that I like mm-hmm. um you know she she says you know the like the separation from you know the the person from their body becomes complete when the breathing stops, mm-hmm. the owner is no longer in need of a heavy non functioning vehicle, and mm-hmm. then they enter a new city and a new life. I think that's kind of a, a beautiful way to think about it yes um i know sometimes that um but people lose control of their their bowels and yes my you know, father at, did at the is that a, something that happens after the time of death or at the time of yeah, death?
0: At, yeah, it could be right before, or shortly a few minutes to right at the time of death. My father didn't want to go to the bedside commode in his uh, chair. He was dying of heart failure. He didn't want to go to the commode. I'm sure he was confused at the time, so I carried him. He was probably 85 pounds. I was carrying him to the toilet uh, when, uh, and they will feel like they have to go or and stuff like that. It's interesting. They'll feel like they have to pee, but he said, you have a catheter in you yeah,
1: yeah, or, I have yeah, to go yeah. and stuff
0: like that. Uh-huh. So they don't, the, so their their sensations are, ab- are are distorted i carried him and on the way back to the uh, to the uh from the from the toilet to the bedroom he just kind of went limp in my my arms and i mm-hmm. kind of walked the last few steps and put him under the covers and he defecated and urinated under the covers mm-hmm. and stuff like that but yes uh that's kind of the last little last uh little, as as your nervous system that controls your 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 bladder and your colon and mm-hmm. defecation urination defecation um mm-hmm. it uh, kind of let go yeah yeah mm-hmm.
1: Wow. So, I mean that that's kind of what it looks like. Um what what happens after a person passes as mm-hmm. far as hospice care? How you know how does the care conclude? How mm-hmm. is is there more support for the family still available?
0: Yeah, so first of all, if it's at home, and oftentimes the nurse is not there, or nurse uh, sure. the, the nurse or the nurse aide, and so the hospice team. The hospice team oftentimes is only there a handful of hours per week between the pastor and the social worker and mm-hmm. the nurse aide who helps with the uh, baths and uh, sometimes and and the nurse who does the medication and wound care and stuff like that that, they, they may only be there between all of them. They may only be there, you know, three, four, six hours a week total uh, between mm-hmm. all of them. And uh, so there's nobody there th- this overnight or, or you know, t- so oftentimes the patient will pass away yeah. with the relatives yeah. or at a nursing home uh, without the without the, the, the immediate professional team yeah. right next to them. So that's the first thing. Uh, so no need to, uh, some, some, some districts in some areas in the country, you still have to call 911, even if they're on hospice. But, uh, but and usually we help you understand in your district if you need, still need to call 911 to have be declared uh, deceased. But well, that's typically, okay. yeah, Typically, um, this is the service that the hospice provides. You call the hospice nurse if, if the person is in, in distress or, or the person has just passed away. You wake mm-hmm. up and they've, been, uh, they've passed away. And the nurse comes and declares, uh, declares them death, calls the coroner's office, uh, mm-hmm. cor- the coroner, Every every municipality has uh, a process. The city or the state has a process to help uh, know who passed away. Sure. Uh, if there's suspicious circumstances or because of accidents, they have mm-hmm. been the coroner has to be made aware and stuff like that. So there's a, so the nurse typically and there's usually this already in the packet that's been given to the family. Um, there's a there's a there's a funeral home that the family of the patient yeah, have has selected yeah. and, and that helps. So all these people help. The nurse will help uh, the, the the funeral uh, uh, the funeral a home, even if they die out of state, um, funeral home is the way where they go, and they're and they're kept until they put on a on a, on a plane or whatever to go back. So all this stuff can be taken care of um, in advance uh, with with just a little bit of information and keeping the information on a file next to the phone, etc. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, people. Uh, it, it's, it's, well, it's uh, almost, uh, I've almost every funeral home, uh, crem- crematorium that we've worked with has just been fa- beyond fabulous. Yeah. Wonderful people.
1: That's yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, to kind of conclude, what, what do you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? Sure. Well,
0: um, you know, it could be morbid, uh, uh, uh but, and it also could be mechanics, uh, you know, checklisty. Sure. Yeah. Um, obviously. It's uh, both.
1: I think it's both. That's in a lot of ways time, it's right? both,
0: yeah. but it uh, is. It, it can be less frightening if you kind of know yeah. what's what's happening, uh, and and who to your resources, the people that you. So it's not an emergency it's the middle of the night. You're not calling nine one one with a bunch of sirens yeah. for somebody that has been you know dying for six months. Sure, uh, that all of a sudden is you know it's a it's a big shock to the system. Yeah. Um, but um, you know the uh, it's an important it's it's a reminder for us for me as a physician, but for us to review our lives now. Uh, am I living the way I want to live? Yeah. Are there, am I around the people I want to be around? Am I doing what I think is important? So that way we with regret is, a, you know, red, decrease our level of regret. That's the first mm-hmm. thing. The next thing is to be able to write down or tell people, not just write down, but tell people that love you, love you and stuff like that. This is what I want or this is what I don't want mm-hmm. and write it down. If, uh, and it doesn't always have to be professional, you know, notarized, mm-hmm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So the typical uh, documents are healthcare power of attorney. So somebody who takes care of you, who, t- who takes care Steps in your shoes and speaks for you mm-hmm. if you're not able to speak for yourself. You're still alive, or you're, but but you but you can't make decisions. So it's healthcare power of attorney or power of attorney mm-hmm. in this case. There's a there's a financial power of attorney and stuff. Like it could be the same person. Oftentimes it's a relative. Sometimes you can pick. An attorney to be your health care if you don't have any relatives, um, uh, so that's uh, uh, do not resuscitate. To decide what you're going to sign it or not sign it, um, and what level of do not resuscitate. You know mm-hmm. you can you can intubate me, but if I need dialysis and antibiotics, I don't mm-hmm. want that. You know, so you can you can do that level of stuff, um, and then uh, and then. Um, uh, uh, Understand put your your stuff in order whether it's your paperwork for your finances or or what you your gun collection Who you want to give it away for and stuff like that Your your will um, And then you can you can focus on the stuff that matters to you the last few days weeks months right. of, of life um, I think that's kind of the most ideal way. Not everybody does that obviously sure. Uh, so that's the most ideal way um, and then uh, then all the while is part of your spirituality, whether it's organized religion uh, that helps you understand what's why you, why now, mm. what happens after this, um, and there, certainly as we know that we, we say that the people who pass away or don't have any more worries It's the people who are left behind that are grieving and uh, right. and uh, and and the what ifs and. The sadness and stuff like that. So there's bereavement is what you're alluding to. So we have uh, all hospice <clears throat> provides bereavement up to a year. Uh, sometimes even before somebody passes away, there's so much grief yeah. that bereavement starts even before for, for, for the loved ones, uh, uh, the survivors or the loved ones. So that bereavement is a big aspect of, and there's even bereavement for youngsters. So mm-hmm. if their mom or their uncle or cousin pass away, there's a bereavement for youngsters. Mm-hmm.
1: And those are services to support the grieving process That's right. to help process. That's right. And it. We okay. ca- yeah. it can
0: be started before the person actually mm-hmm. passes away. That's right.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Tadros, yeah. for sharing this with us and being vulnerable about your experiences. Huh. And I think, you know, once again, one of our goals is to demystify. Right. And yep. like, as you said that, you know, sometimes just knowing, knowing the me- mechanics, knowing some of the particulars makes things a little bit less scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Kind of understanding how this process plays out, it could, it gives me a sense of comfort too. I mean, I have grandparents who are elderly, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I've had you know friends, parents who have passed, and you know, um, we're we're all going to experience some of these things at one point, if not sure, yes, for yes. ourselves, at least for people um, that we know and love and care about.
0: And we can help other people. If we know a little bit about this, uh, we can help other people know what should be out there or, or they can potentially ask better questions, etc. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I've, I never have problems with people writing down uh, questions or uh, sending them to us. Yeah. I, I always love my patients. I don't care if they got it from the internet or their friend's friend. I'm always interested in hearing how people think and what they hear. Um, and uh, and it, it forces me to double check my work and my assumptions and the stuff I've learned absolutely. and what I say. So, Yeah.
1: Sure. So to that end, if you have any questions or feedback for us, please send it to our email address at notyourdocpod at gmail.com. Um, and we would love to take a look at that. Of course, our podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, and at our website, notyourdoc.com. Um, there you can find all of our episodes, uh, as well as a link to Dr. Tadros's blog, which has many more beautiful thoughts about all kinds of different things and (laughs) we'll continue mining it for the next 20 years for content for this podcast. So
0: that's very nice of you.
1: (laughs) Um, So thank you again um, for myself, for producer Seth, for Dr. Tadros. Uh, We will see you again.
0: Thank you. This previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.